2019, uh, I, I, I do a, a monthly Zoom call with the Radiant Network. There's about 40, 50 churches. I think it's up to 50 now. But back then it was probably 30, 40 churches. Every third Thursday of the month we get together on Zoom and all these pastors get together. The, the leadership of the network gives an encouraging word, encourages pastors, and we kind of talk about like what we're going through. But what was happening uh, in the conversations back in 2018 and 2019, it kept coming up maybe every two or three months there would be a teaching on discipleship. And, uh, and we would talk about like, you know, there's a chance like growing churches, the question is often like, what are you doing to disciple people? I remember uh, I had a, a significant leader um, just visiting us uh, a few, uh, maybe a year or so ago, and we take him out to dinner after church. And he's like, man, it's amazing what I'm, I'm sensing in your church. And, and he says, but I, I want to challenge you. What are you doing to disciple people? And um, it both frustrates me and, like, compels me to, like, think. I want to be challenged. I don't want us to become idle or sit idle. But in the, in the conversation of these pastors on this Zoom call, they would ask, like, what are you doing? And, and so we would talk about different things you're doing. But the question I would ask, tell me what the mark, what is the goal? Like, if you're talking about discipleship, what's the mark of it? Because it can't be we're gathering. <laughs> it can't be, like, church numbers. You know, it can't be, like, this is what the giving was. Uh, generosity certainly is a mark of a disciple of Jesus. But so they start, well, I think someone who's, like, alive. They're full of life. Okay, okay. They're, and someone would use the word freedom. And I'm like, ah, our church, there's, like, freedom. And I remember this lunch appointment that I had with this visiting pastor. He said, I have noticed that all the churches, he travels the nation. And he said, I noticed that all the churches that are growing in our nation have an emphasis on freedom and soul care. Yeah, well, yeah, that's good. Come on, let's help that brother out. Thank you. I wasn't looking for an applause, but there's freedom in this house. Some of us, you know, and it, we're never fully free, by the way. We're always in process. We're always growing. But uh, so I would say, well, the marks of it I'm sensing, but I think there's some more we got to do. Well, it's interesting because I think, because this was a theme I was hearing, not just in the Radiant Network, but in different networks and different pastors, this conversation of discipleship. Different than like what maybe we have thought about in the past about discipleship, but we kept this conversation kept circling. Well, I I believe that the Holy Spirit was prophetically nudging churches in 2018 and 2019 because somehow in God's infinite wisdom, He knew something was going to happen in 2020. And so we're talking about it for just about a year leading up to the pandemic, and then when the pandemic hit. The church wasn't gathering. And this is when it got very real. If we never gather again, how will we disciple people? And what does that even mean? Like, what is a disciple? How, how will we disciple people? So it put me on a two-year where I was reading all kinds of books on discipleship. And I was drawn mostly to the, the books that where discipleship was, where churches is flourishing without buildings. So I ran, I read a book about uh, the church in Africa. So I ran, if you don't know, this is one of the fastest growing um, areas for Christianity right now. How could, how could that be? That's, you know, there is, it's an Islamic nation. And yeah, but a pastor there told me Islam's dead in Iran. He said this to me. He said, he said this to about 13 of us pastors. He said, what if I told you that 8 out of 10 Muslims in Iran will give their heart to Jesus if they're led to the Lord? And I was stunned. 
that was the kind of the beginning of the journey for me. So I began to dive into just different books and looking at different um, programs, not the word, but templates or models is better. I look at different models of discipleship. And, but when, we, when the pandemic happened and, and we figured out like, oh, it's more than a couple of weeks, how are we going to pastor people? So what we started doing is I think we called them Logos groups is what we were calling them. We essentially launched into Logos groups and we gave a quick little template of read scripture together in your group on Zoom because we couldn't gather but let's gather that way and, and read God's word and ask what the Holy Spirit is saying because that's what I was learning was happening in Iran and in, Africa, in, the, in the continent of Africa. They, they, and they were actually growing in faith without a building, without a gathering. And discipleship was really happening. So we're going to spend the month of January talking about discipleship. The series is called Follow Me. Because I think Jesus makes a distinction between believers and disciples. Um, actually, powerful distinction. With the goal of January 29, so the last Sunday of the month, in the evening, I want to, we want to release a discipleship model that we've been piloting this last year. Just with a few key leaders piloting this. It's not a program. It's, it's a way of discipling people to get us deep in faith. And what we were learning, just the feedback of the Logos groups during 2020 was like, wow, this is actually, actually working. So we took that model, we took some of these books already, and we, and we created this way of discipling people that's more organic than a program. So share that, share that to say that that's what we're going to be spending this month because if we ever get to the place where we're like the church in China or the church in Iran and we don't have a building, how would we disciple people? And I think that this is how. But today I just want to talk about what is a disciple? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Because there's a difference between believing in him and following him. And Jesus makes a powerful distinction between these two things, between the crowd that might come on Sunday and the follower who lives it out on Monday. And Mark chapter 8, if you have your Bibles, that's where we're going to be. I forgot to tell you that. It'll come up on the screen. It says this. Then he called to the crowd. So the crowd was because people were excited about getting healed. People were excited about how he fed the thousands. They were excited about Jesus, the crowd. They, they're, they're attracted. The crowd is attracted to Jesus but might not live for him. He called the crowd to him along with his what? Disciples. He's drawn a distinction between disciples and the crowd. They're all there. They're all seeing him. It's possible to be part of the crowd, to go to church on Sunday, and not actually be a follower. So then he gives a challenge to them. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my what? Disciple. Must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? So he's drawing a distinction between God's ways and the world's way. In the world's way you lose your soul, God's way you gain it. Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. 
I think one of the most scariest verses in the Bible. I'm not afraid of it, but it sobers me. Let me say, that's a better way to say it. I think one of the most sobering verses in the Bible is when we will stand before Jesus and he says, many will say to me, didn't I heal the sick? Didn't I cast out demons? And he, he's essentially saying, I had a ministry for you and I was doing a work for the gospel. And Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. And the litmus test for eternity is knowing Jesus. It's a sobering verse. There's, there's those who believe in Jesus that are part of the crowd, and there are the disciples who follow him. The crowd believes in Jesus as their Savior, but they live to please themselves. What, what profits a man if they gain the whole world? This is the crowd that's hearing him. They're there for him. They believe. They're there. But he's saying, what are you proud You're living for yourself. And the disciple they still believe in Jesus as well, but they live to please him. The crowds exalt their own opinions, their own feelings, their own thoughts above God's word. But a disciple exalts God's word above their own opinions, feelings. So I want to talk about what does that mean to be a disciple. And I know that this is deeper than a felt need message, but we need to get deeper. And here's why. 2020 taught me that, how do I say this? 2020 taught me that it is possible to go underground as a church. And it also taught me that in the one that, our, that the American church has never had a spiritual muscle for suffering. And so now what we have post-pandemic, this was just said just before service, first service today, and we, that no one knew what I was talking about, but Pastor Jeff and me, yeah, we're actually a different church than we were before COVID. Because what happened during the pandemic is lukewarm believers didn't come back. It separated the sheep from the goats. And I'm not making a judgment, it's just a reality. Some stayed with faith, some pressed in, and then we begin to sense hostility towards Christianity within, within the American church. And we've not seen that before because we've essentially been a nation for the last 400 years, 200 years as a nation, but we've been here since the pilgrims, the 1600s, that have lived on this land with Judeo-Christian values that we are now drifting from. And now, now it, it, you used to be able to blur and blend in without really having to defend your faith. But now there's some, not a lot, but we're sensing some hostility to our faith. Does that make sense? And, and I've seen that post-pandemic. I'm like, wow, no one knows how to suffer. And we must deepen as followers of Jesus. It is what the world needs. So I first want to talk about what following Jesus is not. Because I don't want it to, I don't want us to get confused about something. But the first thing it is not, it's not content. Following Jesus is not content driven. Learning new, new information about him is not the same as knowing him. Jesus even said in John 5. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. See, Jesus is saying, just because you know the scriptures doesn't mean you know me. The litmus test is him. These are the very scriptures that testify about 
me. That's what Jesus Yet you refuse to come to me and to have life. So it is not content. It's not information. It's not that you need another program to follow. Let me just say this. Theology is important. We must have truths to embrace as followers of Jesus. So I'm not saying we abandon that. It's just not what discipleship is. Because it's more about transformation than it is content. Number two, following Jesus is not about behavior modification. Give me the do's, give me the don'ts. How many chapters do I read? How many times do I go to church? It's possible to live morally pure without knowing Jesus. It's the difference between the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. The letter of the law says, tell me what I need to know. Give me the do's and don'ts, the Ten Commandments. Let me figure this out so I can make sure that I'm pure, so I have God's approval. But the spirit of the law is, I know Jesus, and I no longer have the appetite. Behavior is important because behavior tells us if there's fruit in our life. But the, the, the behavior modification might not necessarily be the fruit. But the transformation from Jesus is the thing that tells us, I want to lay this down now. Following Jesus is not behavior modification. Your, your behavior changes, but it's the result of knowing him, not the result of knowing the letter of the law. It's the spirit of the law, which is different. Following Jesus is not, and this is the hard part, is not easy and it's not fast. It's actually long. Galatians says long suffering. Now the NIV changed it to patience. And I know I normally read out the NIV. But long suffering I like better. Because it's a spiritual muscle that we must begin to exercise. Because it's not easy. He said broad is the road that leads to what? destruction narrow is the road that leads to life it's not easy it's not an easy road if you've heard the gospel and it's like follow Jesus and your life will get better follow Jesus and there'll be this you know it's like rubbing a genie in a bottle and he'll answer you know it'll, all your prayers will come true all your wishes will come true someone's not told you the real gospel there is suffering in the message of the gospel and yet with being less disturbed because Jesus is in you Following Jesus, the crowd will follow Jesus as long as everything's good, as long as there's not a pandemic, and as long as the government says, I can go back. But what happened is science ended up not being the answer, or in some it was, but they've not come back. Disciples follow Jesus regardless of the circumstances. It's not always easy. And you may have to stand up for your faith. He said de they deny themselves. They take up their cross. That, that means you crucify the flesh. I know this ain't popular this morning. No one's like, I get a few. I hear some low rumbles of amen. But, yeah, thank you. But what is a disciple? In the Greek, it means to be a pupil, make followers, to instruct, teach, to make a disciple. To train or educate through the process of instructing someone in a certain way of life. It's a way. Uh, it's a person who follows after and seeks to learn from another. It's disciple. 
a learner. I think a better word is apprentice. You know what an apprentice is? is they, they spend time with a master electrician or a, a master builder or... You know, I have a desire, it's on my bucket list, to build, to build an acoustic guitar one day. And you can actually buy kits and put it together. But in Michigan, there's actually a, one, of, one of our nation's greatest luthiers is in just north of Grand Rapids, Michigan. As a school, every year, students from all over the nation go and spend, he has different tracks from three months to six months. And, and they go and they spend time with this master guitar builder, this luthier. And they learn the way he builds. They see how he molds the, how he molds the, the bendings of, of the bindings of the guitar sides and, and how he cuts and how he feels the wood and how he knows it's done by the touch. They can't tell by the touch yet. And you spend time as an apprentice with the master builder so you can learn to build like them. Reminds me of, I can't remember where I read this, but I recently read a, a, I don't remember if it was a blog or in a book. I read so much, sometimes I forget where I read this. But this woman who was a painter, she was an artist, she wanted to spend time with this significant, really good painter. I think somewhere in Japan or somewhere, uh, maybe India, something like that. And she goes and spends three months. She wants to be an apprentice. She asks him to come, and he does this. And she was one that got an invitation. So she shows up at this master bill. She lives with the family, like lives with them. And she says the first, she's there for 12 weeks because she wants to learn to paint like this guy. So the first month, she, he's, he's just saying sweep the shop floor. And, you know, she's trying to be appreciative and I'm living in her house but she's like after like weeks five and six of sweeping the floor and cleaning up the shop and just doing these these small little tasks that seems insignificant she's getting irritated at the master builder at the master painter it's a true story at least to my memory and uh so she ends up spending the the three months and she said I never painted a painting with him and she leaves mad I came to learn from the master. She gets back in the States. I think she lived somewhere out east. She gets back to the States, and she sits down to paint her first painting, and she said, all of a sudden, this whole other painting and way of painting came out of me. I had never seen me paint like this before. And she knew, oh, just being around him shifted how I painted. See, when we get around Jesus, you may be like, what's he doing? He's just telling me to do this or just obey this. or He's just saying, go to church, and I don't know, like, what it's doing. But listen, being in his presence and just sitting still with him, and just, he's telling me to pray more and just sitting in my prayer time. I don't think it's working. How many said that about your faith? I don't think it's working. But then one day you're having a conversation, and boom, something came out of your mouth. I'm like, where'd that come from? Oh, you were around the master. And just living in his house and being around him brought this out of you that you didn't even know was there. An apprentice follows. Musicians do this. We learn as musicians by following other musicians. And we first we learn to play their licks, and then all of a sudden we're playing our own blues. We're writing our own songs because we've been around the master. That is what a follower of Jesus is. So here's a working definition that we're going to keep returning to through this whole series, here's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who fully believes in, follows, and is transformed. So it's not enough to just believe in this good painter. 
and to go get the paint by numbers thing. Because that's how we treat Christian faith. Well, give me the paint by numbers. Do's and don'ts, but it's paint by numbers. And it looks like, yeah, but don't you want to actually be trained by the master? Don't just believe in him. Follow him. And if you follow him, your life will be transformed. This is what a disciple is. Say this with me. Someone who believes in, follows, and is transformed. Let's put it in the, in the personal. I am a believer. I am a follower. And I am transformed by Jesus. Say it this way. I believe in, I follow, and I am transformed by Jesus. Say it again. I'm a believer, I follow, and I'm transformed by Jesus. Don't just believe in him. Don't just believe in a crowd or just be part of the crowd. Follow Jesus and it will transform your life. This is what we're going to be spending the remainder of our month together in this series, Follow Jesus, what we're going to be talking about. Three truths about discipleship before we pray. Number one, discipleship begins with encountering Jesus. That's how it starts. It begins by encountering him. How many remember when you gave your heart to Jesus? Of those who lifted your hands, how many, it might have been emotional, but how many, like, you felt peace or you, like, there was, some, there was like, there was, like, you, were, you felt energized for a season after giving your heart to the Lord? Okay, many of us. Why is that? Because when we encounter Jesus for the first time, we become fascinated with him. He, he entered our messy life. And there was this joy that came or this peace came. And you remember, you were crazy, you were fanatic about it. You would tell, like people would be embarrassed about how much you talked about Jesus. I'm right, I know I'm right. Because all of us do that when we give our hope, we get so excited. You gotta come to my church and we're really excited about church. And because we encounter Jesus, that is the beginning point. Like dating. How many of you, you see like a couple dating and you're like, please stop like laying on each other. Go get a room. Well, don't do that. Get married, then get a room. But you know what I'm saying? It's like, oh my gosh. I just love listening to you breathe. You hang up first. No. No, you hang up first. No, you hang up. I like that Friends episode where the girl grabs the phone and is like, Poof, hangs up for him because she's talking to her ex. You remember that? Uh, why is that? Because you're so fascinated with that person. And then eventually fascination develops and is transformed into personal relationship. You go from you hang up first to like, what do you need from the grocery store? Don't you? You go from that to a text. But because the relationship is there and it's solid, it's moved from fascination, it's something more different, but now there's trust building, there's significance, and you're married and you're doing life together. But it started with knowing them, you were fascinated, and you grew. Discipleship, following Jesus, being transformed by him, starts when you encounter him for the first time. I use the word encounter because I, I fear some of you intellectually have given your life to Jesus, 
without necessarily feel like an old preacher taking his coat off. Like, all right, here it comes. I'm going to just toss that to you. Thank you. Second Corinthians 3.16. Here's the starting point. When anyone turns to the Lord, you may be your church today, maybe you made a New Year's resolution, you're like, my life's a wreck, or I'm just confused. I, I, you know, I got the job I wanted, I, I'm married to the person I wanted to be married to, I'm living where I want to live, life is good, but something's missing. Jesus, it's Jesus. And when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. You can't see with spiritual eyes until you decide to turn to Jesus. Then you can begin to see clearly. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. You know, freedom is not the absence of boundaries. Freedom is not the next thing I buy or when I get this thing or when I get to this place or when I stop cussing or I stop, then I'm going to be free. No, no, no. It's the presence of somebody. <laughs> when you turn to the Lord, it's the spiritual veil. And you turn him, and it's like you start encountering this freedom. And, and nothing changed. I didn't get a raise. I, 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 I still am smoking. I'm, you know, I still, a cuss word pops on my, I still am getting angry. But I'm just like this freedom. And then, because the Spirit of the Lord is in you and you're being transformed, what begins to happen is now you lose the appetite for that cigarette. You're losing the appetite for that, that lustful thing. You're losing the appetite. And now you have freedom because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. But it starts when you turn your heart to the Lord. Isn't it interesting that the freedom isn't when you turn to a good behavior? Because that's not what discipleship is. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces, because now you can see, contemplate the Lord's glory, are what? We are being what? Transformed. This is the Greek word metamorphosis. It is the, the scientific image, or the image of it, is a caterpillar who cocoons himself wraps itself in a cocoon, and what happens as it metamorphoses? It becomes what? A butterfly. It is different than when it started. And when you turn to Jesus, and this is what the ancients, when they read this, would have been seeing in their mind. That if I turn to the Lord, I might still be crawling. I don't have my wings yet. I've not figured this out yet. But you're going to be start sitting in the Lord, and he starts doing this work within you, and you start transforming. You are a different person. When you turn to the Lord and give your heart to Jesus, and really, I don't mean believe in him. Because James says even the demons believe and yet shudder. But when we turn to him, which is a repentance thing, which is like, I will follow you now. And it might be narrow. It may be hard. It might not be easy. But it will be life-giving. There will be freedom in it. And you will be transformed. And you will be a different person than when you started. And we are all in a metamorphosis. Are being transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Someone who fully believes in, follows, and is transformed by Jesus, it starts when they encounter him. Number two, a disciple continues in the, a discipleship continues and is strengthened within community. We talked about this last Sunday night. None of us have it all figured out. None of us have all of God. 
but we need each other. Believers in the crowd, they're accountable to nobody. But a disciple, a follower of Jesus is accountable to other people. If Christian friends where we are known and we are loved and we're challenged. Many of us want to be known. Many of us want to be loved and celebrated. But if you challenge me, I'm out. And you've done. Some of us have done this. I'm, you know what? I guess. Da, da, da. But a disciple understands Proverbs. A wounds from a friend can be trusted. This is wounding. That hurts what I'm hearing. I just had this yesterday, a, a phone call with the, my normal Thursday phone call with Pastor Jerry Tice. He's one of my, I don't like using the word my accountability because it makes it sound like someone was, at, are you sinning? Are you, are you reading your Bible? That's not what it is. It's relationship based and we love each other. But he challenged me some very, in a really strong way. He says, Mike, I, here's what I'm seeing. I fear this. And I'm like, and I, yeah, it's too early to say what, what it was about. Maybe someday I'll be able to share it. But I needed that wound. Discipleship continues within community. No man is an island. We need each other. Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the continents of his friend. We don't do Christianity alone. Ask the Christians in Iran if they can do it alone. Ask the Christians in Cuba if they can do it alone. Ask the Christians in China and the Middle East if they can do it alone. And they look at us and we feel like we can because we have everything. Life is easy in the States. We have wealth. We have doctors. We don't really even need Jesus. Just go, go buy me the cold sinus Advil. I don't need to pray about my sickness. But you go to other worlds. When I was in Vietnam... The pastor there, they were just telling me, he's like, you know, we don't have the medicine you have. When we get sick, we really just ask the Lord to heal us, and he does. And, but what we do, because we're sophisticated and we judge it, we judge when God moves. It makes us uncomfortable because we're so reserved and all-knowing. <laughs> we're not. Acts 2, 42 through 47 this is the start of the early church, about 3,000 people. They, see the plural word there? Do you see the plural word they? It's not a trick question. It's there. All right. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teach, so church leadership, and to fellowship. Now, this fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. It means sharing, unity, close association, partnership, a participation, a society, a communion together, or contributory help. Koinonia cements the believers to Jesus and to each other. Fellowship. To the breaking of bread and to prayer, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were what? Together. And had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. You know, that's what you did in November when we said, would you pray about this and give significantly? Let's continue to give hope to our community. We did that as a church. That was a together thing. No one came in and said, here's a check for $100,000. If you are in the room, we would like to know that. But... Because now we got to renovate it. But listen, 
We do this together. No one has all the answers. No one has all of God. No one, no any one person can do this alone. All believers together had everything in common. They sold property, possessed to everyone in need. Every day they continued together to meet in temple courts. That is church, what we would call church, or they had a synagogue if they weren't in Jerusalem. They broke bread in their homes and ate together. So you can see temple courts, church, and the homes. You know, church on Sunday is high invitation. Because it's, you know, just open the doors, everybody's high invitation, but the impact's low. If you want high impact in your life, you need a low invitation place. Three or four men, three or four women around you. Because I can't, cha- you know, there's hundreds in there, a couple hundred in the room right now probably. Can't challenge all hundreds, 200 of us. And it can't be me. Unless I know you personally. You need someone who will love you, knows you, knows your story, and yet they can challenge you. You'll grow. We grow in community. This is what discipleship is. Discipleship is someone who believes in, someone who follows, is transformed by Jesus. It happens when we encounter him. That's the start of it. There's a metamorphosis, but it continues within community. No man is an island. Number three, and then we'll pray. Discipleship is replicated through evangelism. Discipleship is replicated through evangelism. Our passion for Jesus should be contagious. When you got saved, you were telling everybody about Jesus. Remember back in... uh, April, we had Emily Klotz here back last April. She shared her story about being kidnapped, and the Lord made a way for her to get out of it. And it's an incredible story she shared. Her husband, Dan, I've known Dan for 20-some years. He tells, tells a story about when he got saved, he got saved in a spirit-filled church. And there were, like, healings was just, like, New Testament healings was happening in his church. Well, his wife, Emily, they were, they were dating at the time. They weren't married yet. They went to a reformed church. So Dan goes to a very relaxed uh, environment. You know, they may or may not wear suits. You know, I'm in jeans. So he, that's, that's, he's in this non-denominous church, and God is healing people at, at church. And his wife goes to a reformed church with her parents, and it's very like, but he, has, he grew up in a home of atheists, he had no context for church, but he gets saved. He's like, I'm fired for Jesus. He goes to dinner on a Sunday. He goes to his church. Emily goes to her Reformed church. He goes to dinner on Sunday with Emily's parents. And they said, Dan, how was church today? So it was amazing. This guy, he got healed and his foot grew. And he said, he said I don't know what I said wrong, but I could tell I said something wrong. And he said, Mike, I had no idea. He said, I just thought God healed people. He said, I just thought God was doing amazing things in every church because he had no context. His passion, he was so excited everywhere he went, he was contagious. You know, and that's what happens. Religion will shut you down. Hey, we don't do that anymore. God doesn't do that anymore. Did you cut the book of Acts out of your Bible? I'm just going to read it. It ain't, even, it ain't even part of my notes, but I feel like I should read it to you. I think find the book of Acts here. 
Oh, yeah, something just came on me. They arranged to meet Paul as put in prison. That's how Acts ends. See, it's not easy following Jesus. The book of Acts ends with him in prison. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day, and he came in large numbers of people. He witnessed to them from morning until evening, explained, he's evangelizing, explaining the kingdom of God from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were, uh, some were convinced by what he said. Others would not believe. Let me just say this about evangelism. You're not responsible if they believe or not. You're only responsible for telling them, sharing your story. This is what Cliff Graham talked about on Wednesday. That's why I invited him. It was radical what happened Wednesday. If you weren't here, many people got healed. Literally from that corner to this corner, two to three people deep were coming up for prayer. One man shared his, his shoulder was healed. People t talking about their knees getting healed. Someone sharing about what God's doing, taking insulin, and the Lord healed them of that. I mean, it's powerful. With several people got a prayer language. People were falling out in spirit, something we don't really see here very often, but it was a shot in the arm for our church. But what he told us about evangelism was we have to have an urgency because there is a real place called hell. And we must be bold if we believe that. I'll say this. I know I'm going long. I'm sorry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up. The first time I ever heard the Lord speak to me, like I knew this was God. I mean, he may have spoken before, but I knew this was God and not my thoughts. It was some uh, thought came into my head. I was at this event, that, uh, an evangelistic event that Jenny's grandma invited us to that I didn't want to go to. I'm rolling my eyes at it. It's like a play, a Christian play. I'm at their church like this is boring. And I'm sitting in the front row. And they give an altar call, and these people are giving their heart to Jesus. And I hear, Mike, I was going to move to Nashville, Tennessee to use my gift in music there. And I heard the Lord say, you're using your gift for selfish reasons while people are going to hell. Conviction. Like I knew in one moment I'm laying my life down for Jesus. And I'm going to do everything in my power to evacuate hell. So people won't spend eternity separated from God. And you may, may or not believe in hell. That's another theological debate we can get into another time. I don't have time to explain that today. But to say, I believe it's a real place. Not just because the Bible says so. But I got lots of, I feel like, scriptural evidence for that. But there are near-death experiences where people have come back and shared the terror of being separated from God. So we must have an urgency and we must be bold and share our story. This is what Paul's doing. I'm going, <laughs> some were convinced, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul made his final statement. The Holy Spirit, so he gives them words there. For two years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God, taught about the Lord Jesus with boldness, without hindrance. I think the New King James says it was unstoppable. The power and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit has not stopped. There is no hindrance. It is unstoppable. God is still moving. And if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we must move from just essentially acknowledging him. And you know, believing in him will likely get you to heaven. But if you don't know him, it won't. We believe, we follow, 
and we're transformed. It starts when we encounter him. It continues in Christian community. And then we replicate it by sharing it with others. We can't hide the light anymore. I don't have time to read my, the other scripture because you got that one. It's, the purpose of being transformed, guys, is companionship with God. He wants to know you. Transformation is not about behavior or rules. He wants to know you. <laughs> That's why you want to be a disciple. He wants to give you what money can't. He wants to give you what your spouse can't. He wants to give you what your career cannot. The transformation and being a disciple is about companionship with God. He wants you to become like him So for companionship. The same way in a marriage, the two shall become what? One. Let's pray. I don't know what your next step is, but if you don't know Jesus, I know for you it's turning to him. When you turn to Jesus today, and we're not going to say a prayer for it, you're just going to acknowledge him that you need to turn to him. A veil will be taken away. You will receive spiritual eyes. The Holy Spirit will come in. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, that's where you're going to discover your true life and your freedom. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I plead with you and I ask you, give your heart to him. The kingdom of God is in the room. The activity of God is moving among us. His presence is here. If you do not know him, turn to the Lord today. And for those who do know the Lord, I challenge you, where are you at in this journey? Are you only a believer? Or are you a follower? And if you're a follower, are you engaging with the church? Are you within Christian community so that you will grow? So, Father, I pray, speak to our hearts today. Father, I just simply pray for a Holy Spirit seed to be planted within our hearts today so that when we leave, you would begin to water these words and transform us, metamorphose our lives, Father. We want to know Jesus. We want to follow, pursue, seek him, be in close proximity of his presence, and know him. And all God's people said together, amen.